You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. How are you this morning? Really that bad? He <laughs> said, you haven't started talking yet. We don't know if it's any good or not. Let you know in the end, right? Well, listen, I just want to give you a little introduction to uh, what makes me tick as a person. Um, so we, we love family. Anybody here love family? But we really love family. We had eight kids. Let that sink in because you're waiting for the punchline. No, that's the truth. We had eight kids. Drove a big 12-passenger van. Got a tiny little wife in a big 12-passenger van. Looks like a truck driver in that little, you know. Um, we have 24 grandkids. Some of you are looking at me like, he's lying. Honey, he's lying. He's going to tell us the joke in just a minute. No, it's true. He's not lying. He's 24 grandkids. And I'm the favorite grandparent of all of them. I told all the other grandparents I would be the favorite. Now, if you're not a grandparent, how many people are grandparents in the room? Isn't that the best part of life? Isn't that the greatest part of life? I mean, if I had known how great being a grandparent was, I'd have skipped the parent part and gone right... I'd gone right to the grandkids. So right from the beginning, we had our first grandchild. I put everybody on notice. I will be the favorite grandparent. And they said, that's so arrogant. How can you say that? Simple. I'll always have chocolate on my person or in my proximity, and they can have it whenever they come. So they come to the office, you know, to see. We have some of our uh, family members working on our staff, and so they'll come by to visit Daddy for lunch and run to Papa's office, which is me, to say, hey, Papa, good to see you. So they're going to eat lunch with Dad, you know. And they come to see me. When they do, I invite them in. Come on and get some chocolate. So they get the chocolate. My one son came back. His kid came, you know, chocolate all around us. Michael, I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? We're, we're trying to feed the kids lunch, and you gave them chocolate. I looked at him. I said, yes. You can't do that. Oh, yes, I can. And I'm good. That's how I'm going to, that's how it's going to be. So we, we took care of. And took care of one of our, our second son's kids. are going to go away for a few days. He said, now, Dad, you're going to have to discipline these kids while we're gone. No, I, no, I don't. <laughs> no, seriously, Dad, if we go away three days and you don't discipline them at all, when we come back, I said, yes, they will be hellions. I understand that. <laughs> That's the way this works, okay? So it's all right, though. You'll come back, and they'll be a mess for several days. You'll get them back in order, and that's fine. But you get to, you discipline me. I said, now you're getting it. I discipline you. You discipline them. I don't discipline them. I'm the good guy. You're the bad guy. That's how that goes. That's the way, that's the way God made it. Listen, listen. Grandchildren are the reward for surviving parenthood. That's true. So I said, you guys were so horrible as kids that God loves me so much he gave me 24 grandkids. That's not really true. They weren't horrible. They were great. I want to tell you a story that, um, to start with. That it, it's a story that tickles me a little bit. It was, it was July, July 2nd, 1982. It's a true story, by the way. And a commercial pilot of a commercial jet, 737, was coming into LAX, Los Angeles International Airport, and the pilot radioed the tower and said that he thought he had just seen an unidentified flying object. True story. So the, 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 the tower said, could you please identify what the unidentified flying object looked like? And so the pilot said, it appears to be a man 
sitting in a lawn chair carrying a rifle. I'm telling the truth. You could, don't do this now, but you could Google this later. It, it really did happen. As it turns out, a truck driver named Larry Walters decided that he wanted to get a better perspective on life and see his neighborhood from a different perspective as well. So he went to the Army Surplus Store to buy some weather balloons. Now, it's probably been a long time since anybody in any country used a weather balloon, but there were these really, really big balloons, heavy-duty balloons filled with helium, and one, one weather balloon could easily lift a pretty serious piece of, it, uh, of equipment. And Larry didn't know that. So he went to the store to buy some weather balloons, and, you know, you think he'd buy four or five, hook them to his chair. He bought all they had. He bought 75 weather balloons. He tied his lawn chair to his pickup truck got his neighbor to help him, filled up all 75 balloons, connected them to the lawn chair, which was tied to a pickup truck. So then he, got a pe- he made a peanut butter sandwich, got a six-pack of beer, and a pellet gun. A pellet gun is just a little bitty BB gun. You can't hurt anybody with it, but if you shoot a balloon, it would make it pop. So his idea was to take his peanut butter sandwich. This is a true story. Y'all think I'm lying, but I'm telling the truth. He, he, his idea was, I'll sit in the lawn chair, I got my peanut butter sandwich, I got my six-pack of beer, I got my BB gun, also known as a pellet gun. So what, when, he, when my friend releases the rope, I'll float gently up above the neighborhood, and I'll, I'll shoot the balloons with the pellet gun and, and, and extinguish them to achieve the right height, and then when I'm ready to come back down, I'll shoot a few more and kind of land gently back in my backyard. The trouble was, what he did not anticipate was instead of slowly floating up in the air, when his son cut the rope that held his lawn chair to the, to the pickup truck, he shot up into the air like a rocket. And when he did, the old boy began to panic. But instead of getting out the pellet gun and starting shooting some of these balloons, he panicked and he opened the six-pack pack of beer and he started to drink it. At two, this is, you, you think I'm, you still don't believe me. You're waiting for the punchline. It's true, look it up later. Larry Walters. Um, so they called him Lawn Chair Larry after that. So in, at, at 2,000 feet, he passed out. At 16,000 feet, that's where the pilot of the three, 737 spotted him, 16,000 feet, sitting in that lawn chair. Is that crazy or what? And then when the officials, this part really gets me, when the officials finally got him back down to planet Earth, they fined him $1,500. Now for the life of me, I can't figure out what law did you... Is there a law about flying lawn chairs? I mean, is there like a law I didn't know about? If you fly a lawn chair, it's got to have a license or something. I don't know. They find it's just got to be arbitrary. Just to punish him so no one else would be so stupid as to try it. But when you look it up, you'll find out it's been tried many times since. Um, Say, it's got to be an American. Yes, he was American. But he's from California, not from North Carolina. So those people out there are fruits and nuts. Anyway. At 16,000 feet, he passed out. They got him down, and they find him. And so finally, after they find him, a newspaper reporter came and said, so, uh, Larry, tell us why you did it. He said, I just wanted a new perspective on my life, and I got tired of sitting around. In other words, he wanted to know if his life mattered for anything. So he did this really crazy thing. I think we all want to know if our life matters. Do you want to know if your life matters? Have you ever just had these moments where you think, am I where God wants me? Am I walking into what God has for me? Am I experiencing all that God has for me? Is there more? Don't you sometimes get a sense in your gut that there may be more out there? But yet we don't know what that means. We don't know what that look like, looks like. And so if, if it's okay, 
I know we just met, but I'm, I'm going to get really personal. Is that all right? You know, it doesn't matter what you say. I have the microphone. I'm going to do it anyway. But I just thought I'd ask permission, which is really a polite way of telling you I'm getting ready to get kind of personal and share a little bit of my story about what I would say is an unexpected divine appointment in my life. And the reason I say that, when I was in Bible college, I was a young man, and uh, I met my wife when I was 16, and she was 14, and we, and we married some years later. We've been married 40 years now, just celebrate our 40-year anniversary. We got married when we were eight. Um, <laughs> no, I was, yeah, it's been a long time. So I'm 60, so we've been married 40 years. I got married when I was 20. Um, she was my high school sweetheart and my best friend ever since. So um, we worked at, I worked at UPS, United Parcel Service, so they're a delivery company. I worked early in the morning loading package cars, and it was a great job. It put me through Bible college. I rode to work every day with Tom Seifert and Fidel Jimenez. Tom and Karen Seifert were good friends, and, and Karen was not able to conceive and carry a child. So every time she got pregnant, somewhere in the process, she'd lose the child. She was four or five miscarriages um, they really felt like God wanted them to have a child, so they continued to try. Um, and they tried everything. And finally, on the fifth or sixth time she got pregnant, it stuck through the first trimester. And so the baby was growing inside her womb, and through the fifth month and the sixth month and the seventh month and the eighth month, when the ninth month came, she went to an appointment, and they were very careful with her. And they said, Karen, there's a problem here. We, we need you to come into the office, and we need to take a look to see what's going on. So they came in and found out the baby was in great distress, um, had some problems. They delivered the baby early. And so his name was Jesse. And so he was taken away into what they call the, today they call it the NICU, Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. We know that because we have a special needs uh, grandchild, had eight surgeries in the first eight months of her life. Doing great. God's blessed her, and she's the cutest thing on the planet. Um, you can tell Papa loves her, and Papa gives her anything she wants. So anyway, when Karen, when the baby was born, they didn't hand Jesse to Karen. They took her immediately away and, into a NICU unit, and she never actually got to touch Jesse until he was three days old. They'd done everything they could do, and he breathed his last. And she said goodbye. And I remember going to the, to the funeral, and this funeral, this was the unexpected divine appointment. Because to be honest with you, I'm a Bible college student. I know God is sovereign. I know God is good. I know all that theology, okay? I eventually ended up teaching systematic theology in our Bible college for 25 years. So I got that, I got that down, to be honest. But in those moments, how many of you know, in those moments, sometimes it's important to have a good theology, but you're going to have to fight to find it. You know what I mean? So I remember crying for Jesse and for Karen and Tom, but for some reason, my heart went out to Jesse. And so I, I prayed, and I remember sitting in the chair and friends all around and Tom and Karen over here, and the pastor was leading the service, and I was crying. I said, Lord, it just doesn't seem, I know you're good. I know you always and only do what is right. But it seems like Jesse got gypped. I mean, he's never going to see a beach. He's never going to see the mountains. He's never going to utter the word daddy. He's never going to experience that. It just seems that he got gypped, and I remember crying for him. And I want you to follow me in what I'm about to say. Because then, and I was crying for Jesse, the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said this, Jesse has already heard, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and yours is yet to be spoken. Now, have you ever found that when God speaks to you, he can say just a phrase 
But behind that phrase is like an entire encyclopedia of meaning. You know what I'm talking about? Because I want to make a confession to you. When I was in Bible college, I said, Lord, I want all the gifts. I want to be an apostle. I want to plant churches. I want to be a prophet. I want to be a pastor. I want to be an evangelist. I want to be fivefold Michael. I want all the gifts that are out there. I want all the gifts. I want to change the world. I want to do great stuff. But then when the Lord spoke to me that Jesse's already heard his well done, thou good and faithful servant. What does that mean? It means he accomplished the purpose in his short life in those three days for which I sent him to planet earth. And in that moment, I realized when he said, yours is not yet spoken, that to whom much is given, much is required. There actually is a Bible verse about that. It says in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be, will be required. And from, whom, and from him to whom they entrust much, they will demand the more. And I, and I had a revelation in my heart sitting there that Michael, Jesse, the goal of being on this planet is to meet Jesus and die and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and walk into your reward that lasts forever. This is temporary. This is the warm-up for the real thing, which is going to be in God's from face to face, forever, for all eternity. And I remember feeling like, well, wait, wait a minute, then that means if you do give me all these gifts, I'm responsible for these gifts. And I'm just going I'm, I'm, I'm to be vulnerable with you. I'm going to confess to you. When I, would, when I was younger and I would see a person that had some kind of a disability, I always felt a little bit like they got jet, like, ah, oh, it's just too bad. But in that moment, I realized that, no, 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 no. No, to whom much is given, much is required. So if you're not given much, then it's a lot easier to fulfill your calling than if you're given a lot. And it dawned on me, Michael, so you want to be this massive church planter, do you? Well, suppose I've called you to plant 4,000 churches, which is a lot. That'd be crazy, right? But you, you managed to plant 2,000 churches. Well, if you plant 2,000 churches, there'll be nobody on the planet that has planted that many. And they'll think you're fantastic. And you'll write books and they'll put your name on the front of magazines. And you'll be at conferences. And you'll get so complacent and excited about being so great with 2,000 churches that you're real, you won't realize that really it's been fairly mediocre. Because you're only halfway. And I thought about it and this revelation was going, I could just think of verse after verse after verse, verse all summarized by this one verse, to whom much is given, much is required. All I called Jesse to do was live three days. And can I just jump ahead and tell you something? After being saved, this revelation was the greatest impact on my life ever. I mean, everything about how I viewed life changed in an instant. And everything I viewed about who was important, it's not the pastor that's important, it's the people of God who are important. It's your calling that really matters. My calling is to help you find your calling. And so in, in those moments, in, in that moment, I began to think, so let's suppose it, and, and actually it was just kind of unpacking by divine revelation as I sat there. I stopped crying after a little bit. And then I began to cry for myself, for real. I said, so, so, so here's this person who's got a, a, a disability, and her only job is to bring joy to people. And she trusts Jesus Christ, and, that she, and she, she's supposed to die at age 25, but she lives a little longer, maybe into her 30s. And her whole life, all she does is bring joy to people. Everywhere she goes, she brings joy to people. And she dies and stands before God and, and hears these words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a little. I'll make you rule over much. And on the same day, this fictitious, on the same day, this fictitious pastor dies. 
And the church is in mourning and they say, oh my gosh, how are we going to make you without this pastor? How are we going to make you without this leader? He was so important. He did so many great things. And yet he really only walked into half of his calling because he got all excited about how great he was and forgot about the rest of his calling. Didn't even know what the rest of his calling was. He got complacent. And he dies on the same day as this young lady. And they both stand before God. Now, not many people are at her funeral because only family members, because all the other church members, well, they went to the pastor's funeral held on the same day. She's not very significant in their eyes. She has little gifting. She has little calling. It's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. But look at him. He helped change the world, even though he only walked in half of his calling. So on that day, she walks up and stands before God, and he leans over and sees her and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a little. I'll make you rule over much. Come into the joy of the Lord. The pastor walks up expecting this great reward, and he says, I've loved you your whole life. I've looked forward to this day your whole life. I love you like no one's ever loved you, like no one ever will love you, but I just want to let you know it's been mediocre. Come on in. You see that young lady over there? She looks vaguely familiar. She should. She's a church member of yours. Follow her for the rest of your life. I remember sitting there saying, okay, uh, all those prayers I prayed about give me all the gifts, I unpray them. <laughs> I don't want to be an apostle. I don't want to be in a prophet. I don't, I don't even need this calling to full-time ministry. I'll just, I'll be, glad to, I'll, be, I'll be glad to empty trash cans. I'll be glad to teach preschool. I'll be glad. Take away, because Lord, that means, that means there's more required of me to get the same reward and I realized then I couldn't back out of it. That God had already decided what those things were going to be and those gifts were in there and there was nothing I could do to undo it. So then I, I, I began to struggle, honestly. I went through a several day struggle thinking, well, how's this going to be? I mean, I, mean I, I thought, you know, doing the stuff on the planet was the important thing. But now I realize you're right. This, this, is, all like the, this is all like the foyer for the future, which is eternity which kind of lasts a long time. Let me just say this right now. You do not go, you go to heaven based on what Jesus did for you. You go to heaven based on what Jesus did for you. But your reward when you get there is based on what you did with what you were given. Your reward, which lasts forever, is based on what you did with what you were given. You remember when the lady came by that only, she was, she was a widow, she had two mites, Two little, two little copper coins, and, and Jesus was standing by the offering box. Thank God we don't do that, right? You know, I get a little more. <laughs> He's watching what people give, then he makes public acknowledgement of it. And these people come out of their wealth, and they put a bunch in there, and this lady comes, and all she has is two copper coins, and she drops them in, which, relatively speaking, is nothing. They're called leptas, and they're worth basically nothing. But Jesus said, excuse me, everybody, I want you to know, she gave more than anybody else in the place. And they're probably thinking, Jesus, I don't think accounting is your thing. I mean, they gave a lot. Yeah, but they gave a little based on what they were given. She gave all she had. And he acknowledges her as the biggest giver in the place. You understand what I'm saying? So I remember, I remember struggling, and, and this verse became my life verse. I'll, I'll read it to you out of Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Paul is writing and he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. 
I think that's where, if we can live there, if you could just, you say, Michael, just give me one principle I could live by my whole life and experience all that God has for me. If we could just live like we, we consider our lives worth nothing to us. He said, he said, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only. And, and I would say if you're taking notes or if you have your Bible open, circle that phrase, if only. Remember who this is? This is Paul. He wrote most of the epistles in the New Testament. I'm pretty sure he heard, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Are y'all? You, you, you feel that? Yeah, pretty sure. At this point, though, he's in his third missionary journey. He's speaking to the elders in Ephesus. He didn't go to Ephesus. He's, actually, his third missionary journey is over. Soon he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be there for prison for two years. He's going to be released, minister for two years. He's going to go back to Mamertine prison where he'll write 2 Timothy and tell, Paul, tell Timothy that his life is being poured out. There he will say he's run the race, he's fought the fight, etc. And within days of being in Mamertine prison, he'll be beheaded in AD 64 under Nero, the, the emperor Nero. So he's, he's, he's saying to these people, he said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race. You know, sometimes in the Christian life, the Bible uses the word walk. So we're walking with Jesus. Some other times it calls it a race. So we're running with Jesus. Like there's a finish line. And I'll get to a verse and share that with you in just a moment. But he says, if only I may finish the race. So when I read that, I realized Paul is holding out the possibility that he may not finish his race. This is Paul. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only, Paul, what's your goal? To be great, to be famous, to write books, to write articles, to have people come and listen to you? What, what, what's, what's your aspiration? Paul says, if only I may finish the race. Jesse's day, Jesse's race was only three days long. And I've told people literally all over the world, if you get anything from me, if there's anything in my life that impacts yours at all, even through your pastors, some of it goes to Jesse's account because it was his life that changed mine. So think about it. Jesse's been in heaven for 40 years. And if anybody gets anything out of this message, he's still collecting on the three-day life he lived. Wow. Can't wait to meet him. He's my hero. Paul said, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And then he identifies his task, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Yours might be to be an effective mom, to be a great grandparent, to be the best accountant this firm has ever seen, to live a life that portrays Jesus Christ to those people around me. Whatever you're put on here, on planet earth for paul said and, and i'm convinced and, and th this sounds a little bit hard but i'm convinced that there are many people who are going to end whose life will end before their race ended their life will end before the race ended because they wasted it but i'm concerned I'm, I'm believing better things concerning you so i struggled i was a 20 year old bible college student and I knew I couldn't get rid of these gifts that God had me had for me. And I was going to have to, ma I was going to, have to maximize it. I was going to have to, to choose to live that kind of life. And I thought, I remember standing in front of a grocery store chain. It's called Food Lion. What a crazy name for a grocery store, right? Food Lion. Like, come and buy our groceries or the food will, or the lion will eat you. Or come inside, there's a lion inside. I don't know. It's actually a Belgian company, so I can blame it on them. But it's crazy. My wife asked me to go to the store and get some 
stuff, you know, like anybody's wife ever do that? Hey, on the way home, stop and get dot, 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 dot. Don't ever do it. Ladies, stop it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's universal around the world. That late in the day, we're hungry again. And if we go by the store, we're going to come home with extra. And do not blame us for it. Am I telling the truth? Do not blame us for that. God put that hunger in us, and we're going to buy stuff. It's going to be ice cream and chocolate and, yeah. You're going to mess up your food budget, so don't ask us. Go get it yourself. <laughs> so I remember standing out in front of this store, and I was so, I was so gripped by this reality. You go to heaven based on what Jesus did for you, but your reward there is based on what you did with God gave you. And I wasn't just going to play with it. I, had, I knew I had to make a decision. So I remember stopping, and it wasn't even anywhere close to the front of the store. I just pulled in the parking lot about halfway in this giant parking lot, and I was opening the door, and I was leaning on the door. I'm sure people drove by and thought, that young man is in trouble. He's, got, he's on drugs, whatever, because I just, and finally I, I slammed the door, and I made this statement, Lord, I will not be mediocre. I was grappling with what if your friends don't go all the way with God? What if your wife doesn't go all the way with God? What if you birth children don't, don't go all the way with God? What if you're the only one? What if the whole church says we're going to settle for less? We're going to be mediocre. What are you going to do, Michael? What are you going to do? And I remember slamming that door and I made a life decision. I don't, if it costs me, if they, if they cut off body parts, if they betray me, if they, if they hurt me. Listen, some of us are stuck in bitterness. Because somebody hurt us along the way. Somebody betrayed us along the way. Someone disappointed us along the way. And we let that derail us from our walk with Jesus. Can I just tell you that Jesus had a Judas. Jesus washed Judas' feet knowing exactly what Judas was going to do. We can't let Judas steal our reward. We can't lose, let, the, let those that have hurt us, the friends that aren't walking with God, the friends that strayed away, we can't let those friendships pull us in that direction. Sometimes we got to say goodbye and let go to certain things. Sometimes we got to be ruthless with our own selves. We can't just let that sin that's kind of been a struggle become a lifelong habit that derails us from walking in God's best. We got to find the cross and let the cross work its way. What if everybody else sins in the same way? I was telling God, I do not want to be mediocre. I don't care if nobody else goes all the way. I'm going all the way. I've got to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. One life-altering decision. I don't even remember what, what I had to go in there and get in the store. I, don't, I just remember standing there in that little Chrysler Newport, grappling with God and finally making that decision that not by works and by my own power, but by your grace, I'm going to forgive everybody. I'm going to love everybody. I'm going to be generous with what I have. If you want it, you can have it. My money's not mine. My house is not mine. My kids are not mine. My family's not mine. My wife's not mine. My life is not mine. What did Paul say? I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race. He wrote about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He said, do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one gets the prize? What he's trying to say there is not that we compete with each other. He's not saying to compete with each other. He's saying to run. He's, here's, let me read on. So run that you may obtain it. Well, Michael, there's only one prize. Yes, but he's not telling you to run against your neighbor. He's telling you to run against your calling. That's the prize. See, that's why we can't waste time comparing with other people. We can't look down the row and say, man, I like her race. You don't even know what her race is. In fact, she doesn't even know what her race is. 
I remember years ago, a young man that was on our staff came to me and he said to me, Michael, how do you handle success? And I said, oh, here's a question, Tommy. Do you think I'm successful? He said, yes. And I said, well, there's the rub because I don't know if I am or not. How could you say that? Because I don't know what the totality of my calling is. I'm walking this out every day, responding today for tomorrow, responding tomorrow for the next day, responding the next day for the next day. No one really knows. So that's the problem, Tommy. You think I'm successful? I don't know if I am or not. And I went back and told him Jesse's story. Paul says, do you not know that all the runners in, in, in the race compete, but only one receives a prize? So run in such a way that you may win. Watch this. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. It's not the retirement check. It's not the house in the mountains or at the beach. It's well done. Thou good and faithful servant. You're faithful and a little. And you know, if you look at your life and say, God hadn't given me much, be grateful for that. Because in the end, that really is a lot. All you got to do is walk out what he gave you. Die and go to see him face to face. Hear well done, thou good and faithful servant. Paul goes on to say, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I bring it under control. Now watch this. This is Paul again. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is Paul. So he knows if I let bitterness get a hold of me, if I let that sin linger, if I let other people's, what other people do, jurisdict what I do, if I compare myself and look down the row at other people, I might try to run their race. Comparison's a deadly thing. I might try to run their race instead of running mine. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. That's what he said. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And I know that's what you want for your life too. Forgive me, I'm a movie person. I love movies. There's a movie called The Untouchables, which I can't recommend because of language. It's about a gangster back in the 1920s in the United States in the city of Chicago. His name was Al Capone. He was a mobster. Built a big organization. And most of the police in Chicago were on his payroll. So he could do whatever he wanted and no one could put him in jail. So the State Department created this little group of people and they sent a man named Elliot Ness to Chicago. Came from D.C. He was a treasury agent, not a policeman to find out how they could trap and arrest Al Capone. He soon found out that all the police, all the police force were in some way being paid by him. So he looked for police that weren't being paid. They were called the untouchables. It's because Al Capone couldn't get to them. They're the only honest police there were. He put together a group of about six of those. And it's a true story, but in the movie, Sean Connery, one of yours, he plays this Irish cop that is among the untouchables. He's got this young, wet-behind-the-ears treasury agent named Elliot Ness running the show, which is, by the way, a true story. And I remember watching that movie, and I, I feel like God was speaking to me through it a number of times, and God can do that. Because when they came to a place where they had to make a big decision that could cost them everything, 
Sometimes Elliot Ness, having never been a policeman, would kind of double clutch and think, should we really do this? Because if we push this limit and Capone responds the way he can, we could all be dead. So at several key points in the movie, Sean Connery would turn to Elliot Ness and he'd look him in the face and say, and as I won't imitate him, but his beautiful Irish brogue, which he had obviously put on, what are you prepared to do? He'd look at Elliot and say, how far do you plan to take this? Are you going to go all the way? Or are you going to back up now? And he forced him to make that decision. And sometimes Elliot would, I, I don't know what to do. He just asked the same question. What are you prepared to do? And that's the question I have for you. God created you for well done. He put you on this planet on purpose. Yeah, there's been a bunch of stuff that's come into your life that was tough. There's been pain and sorrow and heartache. But you know, God uses all of that to teach us to know Christ in ways we never would have before. God gives us that to shape and prove our character, to build us into the person that he can say well done to. Sometimes we try to run from that, but God has a way of chasing us down and finding us. So my question to you, I made my decision standing in the Food Lion parking lot. I was going to live for these words, well done. So my challenge to you is, what are you prepared to do? Let's bow our heads and pray. I suggest not out loud, but under your breath, you just begin to talk to God about that. This is a very lonely decision. I say that because you don't make it in the company of others. It isn't, hey, do all of y'all want to go all the way for God? It's about you. Maybe in your heart you could just say, but as for me, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I'm going to live it for God and others. If only I may finish the task and complete the race the Lord Jesus has given me. Father, I pray for every single person in this room that by your Holy Spirit, it help us to come up on the right side that decision, not quickly or easily made, but with resolute determination, we declare to you, we live for well done. In Jesus' name.